chapter 12. Beginning with verse 1. <clears throat> this boasting is also foolish, but let me go on. Let me tell you about the visions and revelations that I received from the Lord. I was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether my body was there or just my spirit, I don't know. Only God knows. But I do know that I was caught up into, into paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be told. That experience in some things is something worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to boast only about my weakness. Father, I just pray, Lord Jesus, today that you'll speak to our hearts and, and our pain and our, our trouble areas of our life. Lord, that you'll help us, Lord Jesus, to always acknowledge you when we're going through the most difficult times of life. Help us, Jesus, to be able to distinguish between that which is flesh, demonic, as opposed to that which is spiritual. And, Lord, that we've been given power in you to stand firm. And we pray that they will do that. Bless this time together in this word. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to talk to you along the subject of weaknesses are not always a bad thing. Now, I, I, we have to admit that all of us have weaknesses, right? I mean, do you have a weakness in your life? Raise your hand. Well, if you don't and you're not raising your hand, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what your weakness is. You're lying. Because we all have those weak areas in our life. We all have those times where, where we're possibly even sidelined. Hopefully, you're not being sidelined by your weaknesses, but our weaknesses have the ability in our life to sideline us or they can set us free. Too often, we're sacked like an unguarded quarterback, and if we're not careful because of our flesh, we will let it get the best of who we are, and I hope and pray that we'll learn something here from Paul. I like what John said in John 17. 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of this world, but that you should keep them safe from the evil one. When it comes to our weaknesses, I want you to understand that the goal here is that you and I, through our weakness, are made strong, not that we're sidelined or taken out by the evil one. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13, Paul said, Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you, such as common demand, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be able to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with that temptation will also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Remember this statement because it's so true. An unguarded strength is a double weakness that will come back. To haunt you. If you have areas that should be strengths, and maybe they are right now, but you let them go unguarded, that is, you don't continue to give them attention, they will come back as a double wit, a weakness, and mess with you in a way that you may 
be sacked again like an old unprotected quarterback. Well, what about temptation? Do we all have it? Anybody in here don't have temptation? Raise your hand. I mean, you don't have any temptation whatsoever from this world. Well, at least you're all on the same page telling the truth now. Temptations are inducements to do wrong. It is God-given desires that he gives us, but Satan comes in the picture, and what he tries to get us to do is to cross the line. Sexually, we've all been given desires, but what Satan wants us to do is sexually go at it a wrong way. He wants us to cross over lines in immorality. He wants us to cross over in infidelity. He wants us to cross over to cause us heartache and pain. Well, temptations are also enticements to do evil. These are traps that Satan set up for you and I to stumble. A simple way to remember the difference between a trial is, and temptation is a trial will always be for a test, but temptations are set up to trap us, to, to destroy us, to render us ineffective. Temptations are always meant to weaken our faith, not by God, but by Satan. God will test us, but he will try us and prove, try to prove us And as long as you and I are guarded and guided and we are uh, holding on to his glory and his path, you and I will stand true to the test. Well, when we think about these things, we need to understand. 1 Corinthians tells us that a thing we need to remember. No temptation inherently is stronger than our spiritual resources. In other words, you and I have been given in Christ the spiritual resource that when Satan comes against us, either through a test or a trial or or temptation, that you and I have within us the power to withstand that temptation. Any man tells you you don't have the power to withstand that is speaking to you erroneously. Trials, while on the other hand, expect, affect us externally against our faith. Temptations deal with us on the inside. They're eternal testings. Remember, God always allow, uh, will always allow us to be tempted or, or tried and tested, but never tempted to the point toward evil. God doesn't want us to give in to evil. As a matter of fact, He is saddened in our heart when we give over to evil. He doesn't want that. He won't send that that way. It has to be more or less a decision of your part and mine. Well, Paul speaks of in Romans 7 in his confession something about the struggle of the spirit and the, and the flesh. He said, for I know that in me that is in my flesh. Nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, sometimes that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer who, who, I who do it, but the sin which dwelleth in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me. And the one who's, who wills to do good, for I delight in the law against, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. <clears throat> o wretched man that I am, 
Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that he will and can free us and deliver us from that kind of activity. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but the flesh the law of sin. Paul was a man who had a special experience with God. There's some of you that that happened in your own life. You've had special times where heaven has shone in your life. Well, understand when you have these glory moments, you've got to understand that that explodes hell. When hell gets word that you've had a glory moment, expect him to show up. When you've had a mountaintop experience, don't you finally hit the valley? When the dove descended upon Jesus and said, this is my son who I am well pleased, did not the devil show up? Why is it that when we're so excited at Friday, when the paycheck comes in and then we write out the bills? The bills consume the paycheck. So there's always this type of activity going. We're all vulnerable to the sins that Scripture forbids. Each person has his or own set of special desires and lust that we give into. Not everybody's the same. But I'll tell you who knows exactly your weak spot. And it isn't just God. Your wife, wasn't expecting that, was you? And the enemy. Well, somebody said, well, how does the devil know? The devil just knows. He's, the, he's all about, he knows all about alcohol. He knows all about drugs. He knows all about our bipolarism. He knows all about our, our mental instability. He knows all about what comes at us and what seeks to take us down. He knows. He's an expert of it. He knows about depression. He knows about your potty mouth. He knows about your potty mind. He knows when your heart's not right. He knows when your mind's off. He just knows all that stuff. So quit wondering why he knows. He just knows it. (laughs) I don't fear him. But I'll tell you this. All too often, our behavior, when we lean that way, we lean toward solicitation of a life that's not right, of a lifestyle that will take you down. It'll take you out of, it'll take you off the front line. You see, to feel the desire to sin is the evidence of pressure of sin in us. To fulfill that desire is the evidence of power of sin on us and over us. But as long as we are in our mortal bodies, we're going to experience the presence of sin Within us. But hear this at no time does a Christian or a believer have to yield to sin. Quit using your flesh as the excuse. You don't have to yield. Why? Well, listen to what Paul said in Romans. Romans 6:14. Sin is to the believer. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer subject to the law, which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. 
We have been given the mind of Christ, therefore our mind has been restored. Your fleshly mind might be blown all to hell and back. Excuse my French. But the truth of it is, in your spiritual mind, you have the mind of Christ. And that's who you're supposed to be being conformed after and to. You see, Jesus had a very distinctive plan for Saul and Paul. And guess what? He has a very distinctive plan for you and me. I want you to see it. I asked the Lord to give me a different kind of outline for this passage. I preached this in January the 7th, uh, the year 2007, on a Sunday night. I heard a CD. I went, one of the members here at the church gave it to me to listen to it. I didn't like the way I preached that. But I told the truth. But this outline was an outline God gave me, but I didn't have to borrow it from anybody. And I like those kinds. Well, let's look, first of all, at the heavenly privilege. In verse 1 through 5, Paul, Paul he's, he's sharing with us the struggle against, and in and, and other places, but, he, but we hear this struggle even going on in these first five verses. Verse 2, he said, he visited the third heaven. Now, now what's the importance of that? Well, the first heaven's where the birds fly. The second heaven is where the planets revolve and men explore. And the third heaven is where God is. Now you say, well, my God's right here. Yes, he is. The Bible says that he left the paraclete and he enters into the believer who is the spirit of Christ. And you're right. The Holy Spirit is right in here worshiping with us. But, they, but my God has a personal place that when you and I die, we're going. It's in the third heaven. We won't stay there forever. But we're going there now, if you die now. I'm not getting into all that eschatology for y'all to fuss over. Verse 3 says, whether my body was there or just my spirit, I don't know. Only God knows. But I do know that I was caught up into paradise, and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be told. Now, all of us long to hear those things, don't we? Some of your ears are so bent toward gossip, you just want to hear anything. Well, I'm sick and tired of hearing the garbage on the filth on this earth. I want to hear the things from heaven. I want to hear things from God. How about you? And you see, Paul had heard those kind of things. In verse 5, he said, that experience was something worth boasting about, but he said, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> what do we do when we have a near-death experience? We won't tell everybody, don't we? Sure do. Paul said, I ain't doing it. Kind of odd, ain't it? There's books written on people who've died and come back. Y'all read those, right? Some of them. They've seen the bright light, long tunnel. Paul saw a whole lot more than that. He saw things, heard things that he could not even come back and begin to explain and didn't try. Well, what did Paul learn from this experience? I think it's an odd verse, but it's still one we need to read. He said, I am only going to boast about my weakness. Strange, isn't it? Weakness. Is he glorying in the fact that he blew it or that he had blown it? Was he glorying in the fact that he sinned? I don't think so. I think he was glorying in the fact that he learned 
that he had within him, and he saw the power that resides within us, and he heard the words himself where it said, even though, Paul, you live in a human tent, I want you to know there's coming a day that tent is going to be destroyed. It's going to be taken. But until then, you're right. You're in a body of weakness, but that weakness can be your strength. So I said, well, Weakness is not always a bad thing, then, is it? That's how I got that title. I just wrote it down. Acts 26, verse 14 says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who, sir? Who are you? Paul asked. And the Lord replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now stand up, for I have appeared to you and to appoint you as my servant and my witness. You are to tell the world about the experience. What experience? The Damascus Road experience. Friend, I, I want to tell you this. The Damascus Road experience is where God took a murderer and made him into a wonderful message to the Gentiles. I don't know what percentage, but it's a high one of the books that we read in the New Testament he wrote. He's made a great impact on your life and mine and in the Christian world. When Jesus got a hold of Paul, Paul had a blinding experience. But he really wasn't blinded to where he couldn't see. He was finally blinded where he could see. You know what the problem is with you and I? Our eyes are on way too much. We get distracted so easy, don't we? It was interesting this whole week we've moved our offices. We no longer in these, the front building and the whole staff's out in, out in the trailers that we now call trailer trash. And, and we, are, we, 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 fit, we fit the part. I am fine with it and okay. And I'm not trying to defend anybody that lives in a trailer. I love it. I lived in a trailer a part of my life. I mean, the, my, the first pastorium I lived in is a trailer, and we were happy till it caught on fire. <clears throat> then we put it out. I'm telling you, Watching the air, there was such confusion that nobody knew where anybody was at. And if you tried to call the church this week, you found out that either you thought we had been raptured up and you'd been left behind or whatever. Phones wasn't working, y'all. Unless you called my personal cell phone, I'm sorry. Hope you ain't mad. We went from four or five lines. Now we're going down to two, so you're going to continue to get mad. We can't let you tie up the phone. For when the receptionist answered the phone, so you're going to have to leave a message. If we don't call you back, then you get mad. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. When you and I have our glory moments, expect confusion. Don't expect it to stay on the mountaintop. Ain't going to be. Just don't work that way. Well, that's the heavenly privilege. Let's look at the human problem, verse 7. 
because Paul said I had received this wonderful revelation from God, but to keep me from getting puffed up, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Some of you women say, I married it. Now, that was ugly because we could say we married it too, right? You women go, no, not me. Well, we all have problems. Not, none of us are immune from problems, and we can't escape them. And, you know, you know you've had a problem if a black cat crosses your path and drops dead. You're going to have a problem. When the bird's singing out your window is a vulture, you're probably going to have a problem. When the bride family throws rocks instead of rice at you, you got a problem. When your children's school calls and they're surrendering, you have got a problem. When the wife wraps your lunch in a road map, you got a problem. When you have to hitchhike to the bank to make your car payment, you got a problem. When the pest exterminator crawls onto your house and never comes out, there is a problem under your house. We all have problems. I read about one husband. He felt so proud of himself. He said to his wife, baby, do you always carry my photo in your handbag to the office? She said, well, why? He said, yeah, well, yes, I do. And when there's a problem, and, and it don't matter how impossible that problem is, I look at your picture, and the problem just disappears. That husband said, see there, honey, how good I am for you? The wife said, yep, I see your picture, and I say to myself, what other problem can be greater than that one? <laughs> we all have massive problems. Well, what about this thorn in the flesh? Think we could have one like Paul? Let's... You know, I could sit here and say, I know what Paul's was, and I think I do, but I ain't telling you. Then I'd mess up all wondering what it was. I'm not going to do that. I'm satisfied I know what Paul's was, but I'm keeping it to myself. But I don't think it was eyesight. I don't think it was a health problem, even though it could be. I don't think it was lust. I don't think it was any of those things. And it wasn't his wife, because I don't believe, some people believe Paul got married. I happen to believe he didn't. You know, don't show me the verse that says he got married, and I'll believe it. I just can't find it. What about this problem of a thorn? What is a thorn? Well, I was watching my wife's, I can't, what's that name, that woman that preaches 6.30 in the morning? Joyce Miles, I was, I was listening to her with my wife. She said, a thorn is a splinter. Hmm. I, I can operate with a splinter in my finger, can't you? I can, take a, I can take a paper cut, and I'm fine. We ain't talking about this splinter being a paper cut. We ain't talking about this splinter being a little piece of wood in your finger. We're talking about a steak. I'm not talking about a T-bone steak. I'm talking about a steak that brings such pain, and it's driven in your heart. That's what I'm talking about. That's 
what the stake is all about. Some of you came in here today, and guess what? You have that kind of heavy suffering going on in your home life, in your Christian life. It's a, su- it's a suffering that brought Paul down to the extent of being on his knees. Let's look at the place of the of the thorn. Where was where was this thorn? In the flesh. What is the flesh? Mind, will, and emotion, right? And this carcass tent we live in and a heart. You say, well. I don't know what Paul's thorn was. Well, let me ask you this. What's yours? What's your thorn? Remember now, the thorn comes from God. That thorn is not meant to destroy you. Only the messenger of Satan will destroy you. If you respond in the wrong way to your thorn. Since we lived in a body that's unredeemed, what's that mean? That means when your body dies, where is it going? Y'all got to go, go over to Colin and Cowan, and I'll tell you where it's going to go. It's going in the ground. I hope you don't think you're your body. He said, now the preacher's getting weird. <laughs> I'm using this body to dwell in. I'm using this body to speak in you. I use this body to serve him, but I'm not my body. I don't have my glorified body yet. I'm glad, too, because this one hurts all over. <laughs> I'm ready to trade this one in. My hip hurts. Arthritis. Both my shoulders hurt. Arthritis. Now, my wife got mad at me the other day. She said, how do you know that? I said, because I diagnosed it. <laughs> she said, how do you know it ain't cancer? I said, if it's cancer, you'll be a lot better off. Let the insurance take care of it. You, you'll be fine. She don't agree with that. She's just naive and dumb. She ain't here either. And y'all keep your doggone mouth shut, all right? She's, she went to the early service. Just keep your mouth shut, all right? And some of you already are dialing her number. I don't like you. I just don't like you. You tell on me. That's why I can't use her much. Wrong decisions. Our actions or lack of actions. Sometimes disobeying God leads us to some major stuff. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors he worketh steadily. Oftentimes he weaveth sorrow, and I, I in foolish pride, forget that he seeth the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent, and the shuttles cease to fly, shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reasons why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has. Plan. 
Some of you here right now, and you're mad at God. You're mad because you got an addiction. You're mad because you got an eviction. You're mad because things ain't going your way. You're mad because you're, you're having difficulty and you're having pain and problems. Why are you mad? Poor little old you. What do you want? You want us to have after service? You want us to have this little pity party for you? Forgive me for being mean, but listen, Paul went through more than we ever going to go through. And he said, I don't glory in the glory moments. I glory because I'm able to go through weaknesses and be victorious. You know, when we go through tough times and struggles, we, we're, ready to, we're ready to bail out. We're ready to tuck tail and run. Good night of life. Stand firm. Man up. It's going to get worse. And then the pain. Paul tells us in Hebrews, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later, however, it yields fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The tormentor. Satan was given over to Paul to buffet him. You know what that word buffet means? To beat him in the face. Beating. Any of y'all been beat lately for your testimony for Jesus? Bless your little heart. Have you gotten in the shower lately and seen any bruise of your standing up for Jesus? I doubt it. The world was that. Hearing things in my ears. Body breaking down. We are spiritual wusses. A thorn in the flesh is tough. Some of you've had that thorn in the flesh thrown on you by either a husband or wife. A by. And, and you know what? It don't go away. That leads to the th- uh, fourth point, third point, an honest prayer. Paul said, I begged of God. How many times take it away? Oh, read it and tell me. Three. Thank you. I prayed three times. God, take it away. Did he take it away? No. Did he get an answer? Yeah. What was his answer? No. I've learned my grandkids don't know, do not know the answer, no. They only understand yes. I told them this morning, y'all come back here. I said, either come back here, I'm going to beat the living daylights out of you. <laughs> we had Bible study in the early service while they were singing. I preached that message early in the morning. They're all looking at me like, oh, what's the temptation? <laughs> yeah. Jesus prayed three times, let this cup of suffering pass by me. Did it pass by him? No. Had to go through it. And guess what? You're going to have to go through some of your stuff too, babies. Quit getting mad at God. Quit getting mad at society. Quit getting mad at everybody. There ain't nobody against you. You're against yourself. 
and then the holy promise. Verse 9, each time God would say to Paul, Paul's prayer, my grace is sufficient for thee. My power works best in your weakness. Why? Paul said, since I know it's all for Christ's good, then I'm quite content with my weaknesses, my insults, my hardships. There's his, well, I won't say it, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I can am strong. If I were to take one of these right here, check, don't work, good. If I were to just start going around and saying, okay, Jabbo, tell me, the, tell me your weakness right now, son. I want to know the one that's just giving you a fit. You wouldn't want to tell that. Oh, he'd tell it. Well, <laughs> just, uh, Justin, tell me, your, tell me that weakness. Give me that weakness, man. I want, I'm going to embarrass your wife. Go ahead and give it to me. If I just go through all of you in here and just say, tell me what that weakness is. Ain't many of them going to glory in it because it's beat you. But Paul didn't let it beat him. He let that weakness become his strength. It motivated him. It was driving him and gave him passion to stand up for God. But it also let him know he was human. Sometimes I think we forget that. There was a man who bought a Royals Royce. Can't hardly say that right. Royals Royce. Is it Royce Royal? No, it's Royals Royce. Royal Roy. Roy. Somebody help me. Royals Royce. Anyway, hot dog and collard greens. That's the best I can take. The man paid thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. And he wanted to know how much, how much horsepower those things had. I'm just going to call it a Royals from here on out. <laughs> or Rolls or whatever. <laughs> anyway, he went to where he bought it in the dealership. He said, how many, how many, what kind of horsepower did this thing have? He said, I'll tell you the truth. I've had nobody, I haven't had anybody ever ask me. So he said, I'll tell you what, let me send a letter to the distributor in London. So he sent a letter to, to London, and it took him about a month and a half, and when, when the letter got back, it got to the dealership. The dealership called the owner, and, and he said, read to me how much horsepower my car has. So in the news of the Rolls Royce, <laughs> try it one more time, we give you the following information concerning the horsepower, and they gave him one word, sufficient. <laughs> What's that mean? It means adequate. I don't care what you're going through. And you may be under tremendous pressure today. You may have a stake that's been driven in your heart, and you've been carrying that stake since you were a child when you were molested. But whether you're in a wheelchair or whether you're sick or whether you're depressed or whether you're going through whatever it is in your life, the same answer to you is the same answer he gave to Paul. My grace is sufficient. What does that mean? It means it's adequate. 
That's the kind of God we serve. He's not going to fill in all the details to you guys. God only sometimes gives enough details for me daily to keep me barely going. He's not going to give you that full plan. I don't care. You controllers, you can stop it. It ain't going to happen. The only one got the picture, Paul. He comes back and says, I ain't saying a word about it. Too good. I'm just going to tell you that I'm going to glory in my weakness so that he and I can be strong in my adversity, in my hardships, in my insults in my depression, in whatever, in my stay in the hospital, on my deathbed, whatever it might be. Because what he saw, evidently there ain't nothing down here bad enough to want to, or good enough to want to keep any of us here. We're going to some good stuff. Man up. Everybody's tired of your whining. Everybody's tired of your moaning and groaning. And I know God gets tired of hearing it. That's about the only time we ever pray when we get in trouble. 